If you've been following along in our series through John, you'll remember that John's gospel has seven signs that all point towards this one big sign, that being the resurrection. These signs all have one goal, and that is to evoke belief and give life in the name of Jesus. This is what John explicitly says at the end of his gospel. That's his whole purpose, is that they might believe and have life in the name of Jesus. And you'll notice these signs often come at pivotal moments in the lives of people who Jesus is encountering. He gives them a sign to kind of show them a way. And like road signs, they're most often placed uh, where a person could take a wrong path, kind of a, a split in the road. You see signs at intersections, at exit roads, and so on. And Jesus gives them to his people in that same kind of way, to give them guidance where they really need it. Today in our text, John presents the second sign in his gospel to the official whose son is sick. And what I'll show is that this sign was to make the official realize that not only was his son sick and in need, he was too, and his whole household was in need. Our text, again, is John chapter 4, verse 46 through 54. We will finally finish this chapter and be on to chapter 5 next week. These are the words of God, church, and as such, let's give attention to them. Let's, let's care for what God has given to us this morning. John writes, So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea, Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. The word of God for his people. Let's pray. Father, we again thank you that you have not left us without guidance, without your word, without your son Jesus showing us who you are, the perfect image of the Father. So Lord, we pray that as we encounter your text this morning, we pray that we would see the true meaning, which is always Christ Jesus, that he is the fulfillment of all the law and all the prophets and all things in the scriptures testify to who Jesus is, what he's done for us. And how he loves us. So Lord, we pray that we would see Jesus rightly this morning. We pray that the same Holy Spirit that inspired your holy word, that you would inspire your holy people. Help us to see clearly what you're trying to speak to our hearts this morning. Let us be receptive to it. And Lord, I pray that you would be with my words. The way that I preach, I pray that I would be faithfully expounding on your word. I pray that anything that I say that is not of your word, we pray that it would be not heard in this church. I pray that you would be edified by my words, the thoughts, intentions of my heart, all of it, Lord. We pray that it would be pleasing to you, our God and our rock and our redeemer. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So church, in order for us to really wrap our minds and hearts around the story, I'm going to need you to kind of 
emotionally connect with what's going on in this story. This man has a boy who's on the brink of death. Now, many of you are parents. I want you to think about that. I want you to kind of internalize and put yourself in the shoes of this man whose son is sick. It says even near to death. So he's, he's critically ill, terminally ill, possibly. Think about this. There, 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 there's a reason that St. Jude's Hospital shows you those children going through chemo when they're asking for donations. It's because they want you to kind of get on the same page because we can really get caught up in our own lives to where it just becomes this kind of thing where like you're going through the Walmart checkout and it asks, do you want to donate to St. Jude's? No, I don't want to donate to St. Jude's because we don't think about the suffering that these people are going through. We're, we don't slow down and realize what people are actually going through. And when we read through texts like this in the Bible, we can kind of just get in a, a groove of thinking, well, yeah, Jesus heals people. He does really miraculous things. We know he does all that, yada, 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 and keep on going. But we don't slow down to realize what this man was actually going through. And it's going to help you, church, to help you connect with Jesus when you are that person, when you are going through that. So we need to kind of put ourselves in the official's shoes where he's probably wondering things like, does anyone care? Does, does anyone see what I'm going through right now? And I want you to see his suffering a little bit because it's going to help you in your moment when you're going through that same thing as well, that there is someone who sees what you're going through. So this was a man of means, just to kind of give you a little bit of context. The King James actually says that this official was a nobleman. It was a nobleman. So this was a guy that had money. He was, a, he was a powerful man, and he would have had ways of getting things done. But as many of you know, there's times when no amount of money, no amount of insurance, no amount of monetary access or knowing people can give you life. Life is one of those things that's very delicate, and you realize it when you're in this kind of boat. Terminal illness is one we see most clearly that, that, where this man was, where he was at his wit's end. He had nothing left, and he was coming to Jesus for that reason. So we need to recognize that. That's the context where we're at today. And I'm going to kind of have three movements in the sermon. It's not a real tight outline because uh, I just I'm not good at that kind of thing. But if you are following along and you kind of want to follow an outline, I'm going to look at three things. I'm going to look at number one, how the official sees the sickness, but not the whole sickness. Number two, how Jesus diagnoses the whole sickness. He lets this man know what's really going on. And number three, how Jesus heals the sickness wholly. He gets healing all around. So let's start with number one, how the official sees the sickness, but not the whole sickness. It was, it was clear to this man that this boy was about to die. The man knew that much, right? His son is sick, and if he didn't do something fast, he's going to be gone. He's not going to have a son anymore. And you can kind of see this urgency in verse 47 and 49. You can see he, he travels out of his way. To find Jesus, he, he, he hears that this sign, this wonder person, uh, this kind of guru maybe in his mind has come to a town near him. So he goes out of his way to go to this person. And then verse 49, you can hear the urgency in his voice when he says, or when Jesus is talking to him and uh, Jesus says, unless you see the signs and wonders, you won't believe. And this guy kind of just sidesteps and says, uh, uh, sir, come down before my child dies. That's what he's really about. He, he just wants his boy to be better. And he realizes if something doesn't happen fast... His son is going to die. Now, we need to ask, why does he go to Jesus, though? Why Jesus? Why does this official who has all these means, why does he go to this carpenter? Well, he might have actually went and done everything else. We don't know because the context doesn't tell us what all this man tried first. He might have tried everything else first. 
He may, might have went to, to all the physicians. All the physicians says there's nothing we can do. This fever's not getting better. We don't know what kind of medication to do. We don't know even what his problem is. So he's thinking, well, what can I do at this point? He's kind of at his end. So this man was someone who understood power, but even the noble man realizes that there are limits to power. You can only go so far. And the powerful man was beginning to realize he needed a power much higher than him to accommodate his needs. So God often uses this state of desperation to make us search. And he used this state of desperation to make this man search, to start looking around to something else. When we feel powerless, we search for a higher power to give us more. Think about it this way. If chemo can't heal me or my loved one or whoever it is that you're praying for, maybe God can. He's kind of like the backup, right? We'll go to all of our means, the powers that we have. And then if that doesn't work, let's try something else. Maybe we'll tap into something higher. And some of you know Jesus heals and you've been asking him the same question that the official has been asking. Jesus, will you heal me? Will you heal my loved one? Will you heal my son, my brother? My sister, my daughter, whatever it is, you're asking these kind of questions. And what we fail to miss in uh, our moments of sickness is, is the bigger picture. We, we miss the bigger picture and we're just focused on getting better. Right? That's, that's all we can think about. We often don't think beyond the particular illness at hand. We think if we can just get past this autoimmune thing that you're dealing with, if I can just get back to, to normal, if I can get my breathing under control, if I can just get whatever it is. There's so many things that we deal with, the, the, the chronic pain. If I could just get past the chronic pain to back to normal, everything would be fine. That's all I really want, just normal. But we never ask, what does that mean? What is normal? What is life? What does it mean to, to have our existence in this world? We don't ever think about those big questions. We just think, I just want to get back to where I'm not hurting and back to what I want to do. Now, the, re- the reality is, is this is not our only problem. The, the cancer, the, the heart problem, whatever it might be, that's not the only problem. And it wasn't the official's only problem as well. He sees the sickness, but not the whole sickness. He sees a vision of life but not the whole vision of life. And this is where Jesus steps in. Number two, Jesus diagnoses the whole sickness. He lets this man know that there's something bigger going on than just his boy is sick. Let's read verse 48. What does he say? Verse 48 says, So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Think about that. What Jesus just said. This man comes to him, his boy's sick, Dying, literally dying. This is just a common cold. He's dying with a fever. And Jesus says, unless you see really cool things, signs and wonders, you're not going to believe. Now, church, let me ask you a very personal question. I do want you to take this personally. What would it mean if Jesus verbally responded to your prayer requests the way that he responded to this man? God, will you heal this person? Will you do this? And then Jesus says, Unless you see signs and wonders, you won't believe. What would that mean to you if if Jesus were to say that to you? How would you take that? Would would it catch you off guard? Think Think about the emotions that you would go through. Would you feel that Jesus doesn't care for you or your sick or loved one? Those people that you've been praying for, would you say, do you not care about them, God? Are those the kind of things that would run through your mind? Would you feel that Jesus is even questioning your faith? That it's kind of personal, that he's kind of poking at you. Now, these are the things that this official is dealing with, probably. 
But it looks like he just kind of sidesteps the whole thing. His response really does fit Jesus' statement, doesn't it? He doesn't even deny that Jesus has just said this about him. He jumps straight back to the issue. My boy's sick. My, I need him healed, Jesus. So in this official's mind, he may have felt insulted. He may have been frustrated with himself. Maybe he realized that Jesus was right and he's just going to deny it, kind of just suppress it and not go there. And he might have even questioned Jesus' character for saying this. But by thinking these things and not addressing what Jesus just said, he proves that Jesus was right. This man really wouldn't believe unless he sees signs and wonders. Unless Jesus acted miraculously on his son's behalf, he was not going to trust the person of Jesus. He needed something more than Jesus. He needed, he needed something that could offer him a reason to believe rather than just saying, Jesus just saying, no, I'll do it. I am this person. Now, he might not doubt the power of Jesus because he went to him. Obviously, he sees power in Jesus, but that's a different matter. Think about that. You can doubt a person's character separately from their abilities. You can doubt a person's character separately from their abilities. I know many capable people that I question their character, right? I know many powerful people, people in high places, governments. I question their character. I don't doubt that they're powerful. I don't doubt that they can get a lot of stuff done and get things to go their way. But I sometimes doubt who they are as people. Just because you have power doesn't mean that you're a good person. right? So this is kind of possibly the, the situation that this man is seeing Jesus in. He's seeing him in that kind of light. But let me ask uh, something at this point. If, if Jesus didn't heal the son, would he still be the good person? Would he still be perfect? If Jesus had said no, would Jesus have still just been the same Jesus, the good Jesus, the perfect Jesus, the faithful Jesus, the righteous Jesus, if he had said no? Now, this is just hypothetical, so let's just kind of think through it. Do we sometimes hold Jesus to our own standard of goodness? Jesus, you're only good if you do this for me, right? It hurts, but that's the reality. We, we, we hold Jesus to a standard that he didn't create, that we created. Do we think that if God doesn't do this for me, he isn't good? And we've all done this, right? But we rarely realize when we do it. It's, it's in those moments of suffering, those pivotal moments where we start to act a little bit erratic. And we start to come to all these crazy conclusions. And, and we, what we really need is God to calm us down. We need God to show us who he really is. And in those moments where we start to think that way, our faith is really shaky. That's just the reality of it. Those, those times test our faith to show us where we're really at. And that's many times why God allows them to happen to us. It exposes that part of our being that we would have never really confronted otherwise. Because we just want to get back to normal. We just want to get back to things as they are. So Jesus could say of us that unless he does signs and wonders, we will not believe at times in our lives too. So we don't just need to look down on this official and say, well, this guy just wants a big show. Sometimes we do too. Sometimes we don't really trust God unless he does what we want him to do, not just allowing him to do what he wants to do. So our belief becomes contingent upon God conforming to our standards. Let me say that again. Our belief becomes contingent upon God conforming to our standards. Unless God fits our image, we doubt him. Even though we were created in his image to reflect him and what he's doing, because sin has entered the world, we start to kind of flip that, don't we? 
We want, we want to become the ones in charge. We want to be powerful. We want to tell God what to do and to fit our image so that he looks like us and does what we want him to do. And this, church, is the deeper sickness that the official did not consider. This is the deeper sickness that we fail to consider so many times when we're dealing with physical sickness. We forget where we really are in life, what our state really is, why we're even suffering in the first place. It's sin. There's a sin problem. The diagnosis that Jesus gives is that this man's faith is not where it should be, and he thinks his son is the only one sick, right? But Jesus shows him that his whole household is being led by a spiritually sick man, right? This this man, the head of his household, isn't a believer really at this point because it says at the end that, that, that he believed and his whole household believed. So there was a change that happened, and this is really Jesus' whole goal. He wants to bring total healing. He doesn't just want to fix the issue and let them get back to life as normal. Jesus has a bigger vision in mind than this man does. So number three, Jesus heals the sickness wholly. He sees the whole thing. His response to sick men is that he doesn't just look at the outside. He looks at the inside as well. Now, now all that was hypothetical of what if Jesus doesn't, right? But the amazing thing is, is that Jesus does heal the child here. In verse 50, it shows that Jesus was and is kind enough to deal with people like that. Tough people, like the, the nobleman, like me, like you. He deals with people that really do want signs and wonders because they uh, need a good show, right? Jesus is gracious. He kind of accommodates a little bit. He's gracious to us in our shaky belief, but he wants to grow that shaky belief to be less based upon what we see and more based upon simply what God says. He's told us exactly what he wants. It's right here. The problem is, is we just don't really care. Like, that's just the reality of it. We know that intellectually, right? Everyone in here, you nod, most of you nodded your heads when I did that. But in the moment, we don't nod our heads. We want what we want, right? Because we are sinful beings. We're complex, and we forget the state of being that we're in. We need to be woken up so many times to the reality of what's going on in the world. So you can see the, pro- the progression of the official's belief here, where he started out in one place and he starts to move to another. He obviously had some belief in Jesus because he came to him, right? But that belief was probably pretty small, just in his power. Like, I have faith that he can probably get some stuff done. Who he is, I don't know about that, right? And we can kind of think that way sometimes too in our own state. We don't really trust a person, but we might use them, right? Because they're powerful. We can get done what we want to get done because they have more means than we do. That kind of thing. So you can have this – you see this kind of small belief uh, that he starts with, and he, he may have not even come from anything more than just healing. Just, I want my boy better. That's it. That's really all I have to do with you, Jesus. But he, he believed Jesus could – think about it this way. He believed that Jesus could, but he didn't believe that Jesus was good. And that's why you see that title there. He believed in a could Jesus. Not a good Jesus. He didn't want the whole package. He just wanted a small bit of what Jesus could do. And so many people have a faith in Jesus like that. They don't want to show up until they need something. Because Jesus could help them. And that's all they want him for. But they don't come to Jesus because he is good. Because he is holy. Because he's righteous. He is their salvation. The whole package. The whole thing. They don't want Jesus to touch that certain issue of their life. Don't talk about my sin. Don't talk about that. I just want to get back to normal. And when that things go back to normal, then they're not in church anymore. That's the reality of what is going on in 
many times in the church and all through the scriptures too, it's not a new thing. People have always been shallow people. But we need to realize in this story that this is the kind of thing that Jesus is working on. Jesus wants to grow our faith. And that's why I wanted you to kind of get yourself in the story. To, to emotionally connect with this official because you've been there. You know people that have been there. And I want you to let this resonate with you how shallow we can be and to realize that we need not just a good God, but a good God. So when we realize this, it makes all the difference. Because think about it. Satan believes in a good God, doesn't he? That's what James says. Even the demons know what Jesus is, what he can do, and his, his power they just doubt that he's good. They think that they know better. That was how it was from the very beginning, right? God created the world good in the beginning. He said it. He said, guys, this is good. Adam and Eve, this is good. It's, it's very good, in fact. But Satan entered the scene and said, but is it, is it really good? Isn't God kind of holding back on you, Eve? Like, he said it's good, but you're not eating up this fruit over here. Isn't he holding back? Doesn't, isn't he... Trying to restrain you? And wouldn't you be more powerful? Wouldn't you be more happy? Wouldn't you be more fulfilled if you could just have all of this at your fingertips? But God's holding out on you. So I would just eat the fruit. I mean, if you do that, then you're going you're gonna to be like him. Right? That's the lie of Satan. And we live that kind of lie so many times. Well, in fact, every time we sin. It's not just Adam and Eve and the really, really big things and the fall of the entire world. It's every time you choose a lie over the truth. Every time we use God for what we can get rather than just coming to God because he's good and because he's worthy of our praise. So that's the lie of Satan when, the, when that temptation comes in. And it's meant, Satan's whole goal is to do the opposite of what Jesus is doing in this story. It's to move your faith away from God, to diminish and eat at your faith rather than to build it up. And Jesus' goal is actually to do the opposite of that, to grow your faith through the testing. Jesus is good whether or not he heals any of us. That's just the fact of the matter. It doesn't... It, it, our, our God's goodness is not contingent upon anyone in this room getting better for whatever they're praying for. All those prayer requests, whether or not he says yes to them, God remains the same. Why? Because God doesn't change. He's been good all along. Who has changed? Us. Because what were we in the beginning? We were good. We were very good. And then we believed something that was a lie. And that, that was that God was holding back and that we could be better. And that is when we fell from the goodness. That, that was our, our fatal flaw, where we all of a sudden became deserving of death. And yet, we're all here alive, right? Everyone in this room is alive. We're on borrowed time. The wages of sin is death. Every one of you, when we did that individual confession of sin, there was something that you could think of, I'm sure. All of us, even from the children, right? Even the official son was a sinner. That's the reality of the, the story, is that even, even the son was a sinner. Even a child is known by his doings, is what it says in Deuteronomy. So until we realize that we all deserve sin, or we all deserve death because of sin, we're not going to get the full picture of this story. We're not going to understand the diagnosis. But yet Jesus, with the power and authority over death, tells this man, your boy's going to live. He sees right through all of that mess that we just talked about. All the disbelief, all the, the seeing God for being a, a good God instead of a good God. Jesus sees through it and has a bigger vision in mind. And by doing this, he didn't accommodate the man's desire for signs and wonders. He pressed him to belief. 
Now, I want you to see something here. He didn't actually give the sign right then and there, did he? He didn't say, bam, your son is well, and you can see it right there. He says, go. Go home. Your son will live. There's the test. That, that, that's the, the hard part, where this man had to do, uh, go on a long journey back home. And it's at least a day's time between when he finds out that his son is well and when Jesus says, go, you'll live. So there's this testing period. You've heard it said before that a man is only as good as his word, right? A man is only as good as his word. So Jesus put him to the test. Go, your son will live. Are you going to believe it or not? He gives this man an opportunity to believe the word of God. So the man, what did he do? He believed it. He believed that God, or that Jesus, he, he might not have even realized at this point, was God. He, he believed that God could heal him, and that he would heal him. Right? So the man believed, and he believed that not only could he, but he would because he was good. Right? He had this kind of progression where he, he moved along from a could God to a good God. Realized that Jesus did not give the man a sign at the time of his request. He didn't actually give him what he wanted. So that's what he says. Unless you believe, or unless you see signs and wonders, you won't believe. So he gave him another opportunity. Here's a word. Are you going to believe this? Are you going to take it? Would this official believe the bare word of God, or would he make his faith contingent upon what he would receive? Right There was the test. And then upon his arrival home, what happened? The, the servant comes out and says, your, your boy's getting better. And he says, when? When did it get better? Because he wants to know. And what does the guy tell him? He says, it's, it was the very hour. He, he starts to do the math in his mind. He's like, that's, that's when I was talking to Jesus. In fact, that was about the hour that he told me my son would live, and I believed it. So in a, in a way, Jesus did give him a sign, but it's the delayed sign. He didn't give him what he wanted in the moment because then he might place his faith-based contingent upon that, right? So he gives this sign as a kind of after-the-fact confirmation, right? It's not contingent. It's, it's the confirmation of what God has already done. And he does that in our lives, too. He gives us signs, ways to where we're tested, and then we look back at the situation, and we're like, wow. Wow, God did really work through that. And at the time, I didn't really know what the outcome would be, but I just trusted God, and he did an amazing thing. And then I get this sign that says, wow, look, look what God has done through this. So it further strengthened his faith, and he obviously told his family about this, right? And what is the result? He tells his family about this man who brought this healing and how he believes in him and his whole household believed. Think about the implications of that. His whole household believed. What does it say in verse 53? The father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household and all his household here. We see that Jesus had a bigger purpose in view. Jesus wasn't just concerned about the boy's physical sickness. He was concerned about the spiritual sickness of the whole family. Jesus sees the whole picture. And here's an interesting question about this story. Where's that boy today? There's two different ways of looking at it. There's, there's one that says, well, his body is dead. The guys, He's probably dust now. But there's another reality of, Technically, the boy's not. That, that boy believed, and because he believed, what do we know about the scriptures? That boy believed, and now if he's dead, 
in the body. He's alive in the spirit. He's in the presence of God. Now think about that. That boy got so much more than that father had intended. He just wanted his boy to, to get better and have maybe like, like 50 more years, right? Think about that. that. That's what this guy was just hoping for. But now he's in the presence of Jesus. Why? Not because Jesus healed him of the physical sickness, because he died again, right? That was just a sign to point to what? The resurrection. The main, the main point John's whole gospel wants you to get that deeper, bigger picture, the, the great vision of the resurrection. It's not just about getting your physical healing here. Thank God that he does do that. I've seen it. He does it all around. I absolutely believe in it. But that's actually not the main point. There's a, there's a greater sickness that we often don't think about, and that is the, the fact that we can live eternally, that we can have resurrected bodies. So Jesus graciously condescended to this man's weakness, grew his faith by testing him, and gifted him with so much more than he could have even came asking for. He came with a small view of life. And God gave him a big view of life. Like I said, all he wanted was this boy to, to get well. And, and at best, maybe he's like, maybe I can just get 40, 50 more years with my son. That's all I want. I just want a normal life. And what did Jesus give him? He gave him an eternity with his son and with Jesus. Think about how much bigger that is. The implications for your, your children being believers is massive. We don't just want our kids to be not sick not physically sick. We want them to believe. We want whole households to confess the name of Jesus so that we can come together and believe with one voice and confess with one voice what we're going towards. That's eternity with Jesus. That's eternal life. So when he said, go, your son will live, that was an ongoing thing. Think about that. Go, your son will live. That, that man thought, oh yeah, he's going to live for a couple more years. No, your son will live. That's a different kind of life that Jesus is speaking about. A lot bigger vision than what we could ever imagine, what this man could ever imagine. So how does Jesus heal the whole sickness? It's very simple. By faith. By, by trust. By believing in Jesus and the whole Jesus. Not just what he can do. Not a faith that just says, you're really powerful. And I know that I sometimes have shortcomings, so I'm just going to come to you when I need you. No, it's the whole Jesus, the person and work of Jesus Christ Christ, and being anchored to that, to believe in a, in a good God, not just a good God. So when Jesus spoke this promise to the official, he believed it, and it says in verse 50 this. It says, Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Now, I want you to think about that. When we believe God and his promises, his, his word, and take him at his word, and what the scriptures say is that we are that is counted to you as righteousness. That is actually the way that we are made right with God, just by trusting in him, by believing him. Romans says it this way. Romans 4 says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, what was that belief about? God came to him and said, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. I'm going to give you lots of sons. And he says, no, I'm, I'm barren. And Jesus says, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. And he believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And that is actually the pattern all throughout scriptures that God justifies the believer, that he makes them right with God. So what were the wages of this official and his son? It was death. But despite the diagnosis, Jesus promised life. And how would they get that? Through faith, not by works, 
Not by working really hard, not by being a perfect person, but by simply believing and trusting in a good God. God, you're good. You're going you're gonna to work this out. Yes, there's this sin here, and you're going to take care of it. I don't even know always how that's going to work out. I might be barren. I might be sick. I might be whatever it is, but I'm going to trust in a good God that he's going to take care of it. And when you do that, he counts that as righteousness. That's what it means to live by faith. The just will live by faith is what scripture says. Right? So we, we, have, we walk every day like this. It's not just at the beginning where you hear the gospel, Jesus died for your sins, and you say, yep, that's not what it means to just live by faith. Living by faith is a, a day-by-day action where you have to constantly trust in the Lord that he is going to work all things out for your good. It's all the time. That's what it means to walk by faith. And, and re- when you realize this, it anchors your life in the person of Jesus who gives life and life abundantly. And you can start to get joy. You can start to get fulfillment in, in living this way. And it actually changes you to where you can kind of sit back and rest. Think about the timeline between that man hearing the promise, your son will live. He believed it and when he met up with the son. If you look at the geography of it, it's actually not super far. And it wouldn't have taken him a whole day to get back to his son. So it almost looks like there's this kind of like resting period where he didn't immediately go straight back to his son. Think about that. Where he believed what Jesus said, your son will be well. And he kind of just, it's like, yeah, my son's going to be well. I don't have to kill myself and rush back to go see him. Uh, I'm going to finish doing what I was doing here in town and take my time. I'm going to be able to just rest in the promise of Jesus, what this man has told me. And when I get there, I trust that it's going to be what Jesus says it is. And it is. That's the amazing thing about this, is that when we trust in God, it gives us this kind of peace where we can let our guard down and say, wow, you know what? This is what it means to live. This is what it means to to have a life and life abundantly, not just a normal life, but a stress-free life, a, a peaceful life, a peace that surpasses all understanding, that you can't even make sense of it. So Jesus wants us to place uh, to, to, to a place where he doesn't have to say, you will believe me unless, because that's what this man was in the first part of the story. He's not at that at the end, but Jesus wants to kind of stretch us to get us past that. He wants to remove all conti- conditions and to, for us to just take him at his word like the official eventually did. He wants us to trade in our small vision for life and to exchange it for a full vision of life, a bigger picture. And until we allow Jesus to diagnose our condition, we will not repent. You've got to come to the full picture. You've got to realize that you're sick, spiritually sick, not just physically sick. You don't just need stuff. You need salvation. And until you do that, you're not going to have a fulfilled life. You're not going to get that peace. You're not going to get that, that relaxation that comes with this resting in the promise of God. You're going to be stripped of a deeper meaning in life, and you're going to just have the normal life. And that's not what we want. That's not what we're after. That's not what Jesus promises. He promises life and life abundantly. The good news is is that we don't have to live like that. We don't have to live shallow, meaningless lives. We can live really happy, really joyful lives, really restful lives, not stressed out all the time because we come to Jesus. So the charge is this, church. Jesus calls you to see your deeper sickness and to repent But in his love and mercy, he offers us new life in his name, a life much bigger than we could ever have searched for. Believe in the person, not just the power of Jesus, and you too will have life in his name. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you cultivate our faith, that you, as a, a greater Adam, 
you work the garden of this world to till it and to to work our hearts to a place where we're fruitful, where we're not so anxious about the cares of this world, but where we start to have our minds set on things above, things that last, not on what we're going to wear or what we're going to eat or what we're going to 